Alright, there we go. So, uh, welcome everybody to the inaugural episode, I don't know if we're going to call this episode 1 or episode 0. This is our quick and dirty pilot for yeah. Not If I Reboot You First. Well, we'll call this a pilot. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, Lindsay, what are we doing here? Uh, we are going to remake Once Upon a Time Season 2. Okay, we're just getting right into it. I was going to ask if you wanted to go first, or if I was going to go first, but yeah, let's get in on this. Yeah. Well, okay. The idea here is that I wouldn't actually be starting with Season 2. I'd be starting more with how the last episode of Season 1. Okay, that's fair. Because yeah. I, I knew at some point we were going to get into Once Upon a Time, but I was nervous how we would do Season 1, because honestly, Season 1 is pretty perfect. Yeah, like, okay, season one is, like, the sort of season that it's pretty clear the creators thought that they wouldn't be getting any more than that. They envisioned it as its own thing. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, oh yeah, we're, we've decided to renew you, and then they're like, ah! We don't know what to do! We have no idea what's going on, and we all have too many crushes on Lana Perilla. Yeah. Which, I mean, fair, well, but it didn't work out in the end. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was okay for, like, the first two seasons, especially when they did do a pretty deep dive into her backstory and all the stuff about her mom, but, like, after that, it's like, dude. Yeah. They wanted to have their cake and eat it, too, with her and with Rumpel. It was just like, yeah. we want them to be villains, but also we want them to be good guys. But they're only interesting when they're villains. Which was wrong, but they didn't realize that. Yeah, and, like, okay, with Rumpel, I think he's one of the... Well, we'll get into it, you know, eventually if we get around to season three. But, like, that should have been the end of Rumpel. We're absolutely he's getting to season three one day. Yeah. Okay, so... Quick recap for anyone who is not familiar with Once Upon a Time, other than it was a hot mess on ABC or CTV. If you're up here in Canada, I don't know what other channels it was on uh, elsewhere. I mean, let's, it's pretty firmly in the ABC Disney territory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if any channel of yours has a license with Disney, it might have shown Once Upon a Time at some point. So anyway, the premise is you have your main character, Emma, who lives an ordinary life until this weird kid shows up at her door and he claims that she's the savior of his hometown because everybody there is fairytale characters like from Brothers Grimm slash Disney properties under a curse. I mean, in the first mom. season, it's mostly just the notable fairy tales. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was primarily... Uh, ev not everything that Disney's adapted, but mostly the stuff that Disney adapted, plus Rumpelstiltskin and Little Red Riding Hood, because I don't think and Hansel and Gretel touched those. And Hansel and Gretel, yeah, I think those are the three Grimm's fairy tales that they never really touched, and I think it was because like they were so short. They did do a short with Peter and the Wolf for a Shostakovich piece during World War Two, but like that's like a short bit of music. I'm honestly surprised Disney never made a Little Red Riding Hood, because, like the other two, it'd be hard to turn that into your standard Disney movie musical, but I yeah. can easily see Disney's Little Red Riding Hood. Well, they could have gone for, like, a live-action version. 
doing? I guess so. Have you ever have you ever seen any of like the Walt Disney really bad live action movies from the sixties? Yes, I have. I grew <laughs> up on Old Yeller. Oh no, I'm thinking like the Ugly Dachshund and Hello Down There. Oh, okay. No, I haven't seen those ones. I've seen no. I've seen the good shit from the fifties. Okay, I one of our future episodes is probably going to be Hello Down There. Because that mo- that movie is perfect 60s garbage. I don't even know if it was made in the 60s, but it has a very powerful 60s aura. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Anyway, to summarize season one of Once Upon a Time, it was actually pretty good. It was a lot of, like, fairy tale of the week sort of stuff. But also going into, like, how we end up with the curse, what the curse people were like before the curse, what they are like afterwards, everybody finding themselves, and then eventually breaking the curse with um, the last episode of that season. And the major change that I'm making to this, and it is only one change, is one character is not going to be there. Oh. Belle is not going to be there. Okay, yeah, oof. Okay, we need a we need to break down the bell situation for the viewers at home too. Okay, yeah. Of all the of all the Disney fanfic stuff that happens in Once Upon a Time, this one is the most because it's the worst. It it's clearly the sort of fanficy stuff where it seems okay at first, but then it seems like either the person writing the fic didn't care about this particular character, didn't know what to do with this character, or actually did not like this character. Yeah, it's... Well, here's the thing. Um, With Beauty and the Beast, the fairy tale itself is kind of... Everyone likes to joke that Beauty and the Beast is about Stockholm Syndrome. It's and not. the original... Well, the original fairy tale is a little bit... But not that much. But not that much. And Disney really fixed it. Disney fixed it so that it's what it's supposed to be, which is don't judge book by its cover. And, you know, we're not going to yuck any yums, but if you want to make out with, like, a buffalo bear, go for it. <laughs> Yeah. Like, it. there's a reason why for a certain generation of young girls, who are now women, uh, this is their favorite out of all of them. Because Belle is very relatable. She's a bookworm, and she's curious about the world. She wants to go on adventures. And she falls in love with the big buffalo bear thing, who is way cooler than the town jock. And also is much more better looking than his human form? Yeah. Surprisingly, it's weird. He's, but, he's, you know... He's too reaction, pretty. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if you're into film and all that, um, go watch that three-parter Beauty and the Beast versus La Belle and the Bet with um, Kyle Calgren and... oh, who's Tony Goldmark. Tony some jerk with a camera. Yeah, some jerk with a camera because he... Uh, Kyle brings up uh, during the premiere of Le Belle and the Bête by uh, Jean Cocteau that apparently, oh, it wasn't Ingrid Bergman, it was Greta Garbo, so the famed Swedish actress of her time. She stood up in the theater at the end of the of that version of Beauty and the Beast and shouted, "Where did my beast go?" <laughs> <laughs> so there is precedence for this. You can draw a direct line from Disney's Beauty and the Beast to the amount of furries that there are today. <laughs> Beauty and the Beast is responsible for Team Jacob. <laughs> yes. 
And, and the rescuers is responsible for so much other stuff. I still haven't seen any of the rescuers movies. Oh my god, you got to see the rescuers. I know. Especially listen, down under. Down under okay. the one. Well, I'm obviously going to try and see both. There's this little subsection of uh, Disney movies that I haven't seen yet because I just never had the chance. Like The Rescuers, okay. I've never seen Cars 1, I've never seen yeah. Ratatouille. Okay. So, anyway, back to the whole Beauty and the Beast situation. So, in Once Upon a Time, you have Rumpelstiltskin, who also has the title The Dark One, so he's supposed to be, like, the big embodiment of all dark magic for the Enchanted Forest. It's supposed to make sense in context. If you're... If they stuck with fucking fairy tale logic, and fairy tale logic can basically be summed up as don't explain it, don't ask questions, don't explain it. It just is. Um, so anyway, in this universe, Rumple is also the beast that Belle goes to. To in the official backstory is that she is no longer the daughter of the kooky inventor in town and is thus kind of an outsider or in the original fairy tale simply the daughter of a merchant who asked her dad for a rose and can kind of stumble upon the castle and pissed off the beast um they live in a principality lordship county kingdom i i don't know they refer to her with so many different titles it's like they couldn't decide what to do. Belle is some sort of noble lady in some sort of place that has some sort of autonomy but isn't a kingdom. Even though she gets referred to as princess but like that can be it. Look, I have done too many deep wiki dives on Germanic uh, noble ranks to know that <laughs> princess means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Disney! Anyway, um... The land is under attack by ogres, and the only one who can save them is the Dark One, and he'll do it at the price of Belle becoming his servant. But she goes willingly, and they have a cute time doing the whole getting together, and apparently Rumple kills Gaston by turning him into a rosebud, into a rose, and then cutting him off at the stem, giving him to wink, Belle. Wink, wink. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. There's just, their relationship is probably the most sexually explicit without being explicit. It's kind of weird. Oh, yeah, well, it didn't get super sexy at any point on Once Upon a Time. Yeah. You know what? That's fine. I'm fine with that. They, oh, the, well, they did once walk in on Snow White and Prince Charming. Finishing up from... Yeah. And also just uh, Captain Hook is a sexual icon. Yeah. Look, when you have that much gay, uh, guy eyeliner and like all those shirts that are open like all the time, like... Were you about to say gay liner? <laughs> Maybe. That's a Freudian slip if I've ever heard one. <laughs> Look, pirates were pretty not straight. This is true. <laughs> But as my dad likes to say, it's not gay if underway, so. <laughs> uh, I grew up in a naval family. I know all the gay jokes about sailors. Yep. So, anyway, they have a pretty cute relationship for their spotlight episode. And then uh, she tries to kiss it. Belle tries to kiss Rumple, And it's apparently a true love's kiss. 
and it almost breaks the Dark One curse, but because Rumpel's whole deal is that he can't let go of his magic, it is, it is like the ring. Like, the one ring to rule them all bad, and he is... Oh, dang. And he is Gollum, when you think about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would have been cool if he did do a whole, my precious. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, because he can't let go of his uh, super precious powers, he pushes her away and she leaves. And then eventually Regina walks in because Regina is at the time the worst. And she's like, oh yeah, she totally killed herself because uh, she went crawling back to daddy. And daddy was like, oh yeah, we have to scourge you of, scourge you of all the badness within you because you spent so much time with him. And uh, it drove her crazy and she jumped off the highest tower of her castle. But surprise at the end it's revealed that she's been locked up in the fucking padded cell in the bottom of the local hospital for the past 28 years they say that she went mad but they really don't get into that yeah and you know i'm one of those people who has actually done the super scary research of you know trying to find out what happens when you're in solitary confinement for long periods of time it's not good for your brain apparently yeah, and especially in a, a place like that where it's not a it's not a good mental health asylum. It's one of those like sixty style. Yeah, I was gonna say turn of the century, but no, yeah, even in hell, even in the eighties, yeah, they're just places like well, gr- mom's acting weird. She's got her wombs wandering all over the place. <laughs> We're gonna put her in a box. Yeah. So, you know, if. The writers initially had, you know, actually done at least a quick Google search on stuff about, like, what happens when you leave someone in a prison cell for 28 years by themselves, and it has happened. There is a guy from a supermax prison down in California, I want to say, who spent the better part of 30 years in solitary confinement. He is not doing well. Yeah, ugh. Um, there was an entire, like, frontline special on PBS about... Uh, solitary confinement in the U.S. prison system. But, yeah, like, it should have been a bigger point, like, a bigger hurdle for Belle and Rumpel in the story, like, in the story that we saw, that she has massive amounts of mental issues. And that would have been a great source of character development, but apparently the writers didn't know what to do with her. Yeah, so they're, like, at the, in the finale, Rumpel finds out that Belle is alive, and in this hidden underground asylum and he so, breaks her out and no, she's no actually uh the mad hatter broke her out because he was oh, that's pissed right. at regina for not letting him reunite with his daughter so he's like <laughs> if i give the meanest toughest son of a bitch in this entire area a reason to kick your ass all the better for me. And uh, he lets her go. She finds her way to Rumple, and that's. About- she just kind of wanders into him because she still has no idea what's going on. Yeah, and that's roughly around the same time that the uh, Chula's kiss that Emma uses on Henry to wake him up from the uh, poisoned apple tart, or no apple turnover. Yeah. Can I just say I I do love that the curse was broken with familial love and yes. not just romantic love. Yes. Um, I will give the series credit where credit is due. They did, you know, invoke different forms of love as just as legitimate as romantic love. Through all the bullshit. Yeah. Family, and especially, like, found family, is a huge factor. Yeah. Like, it's 
it doesn't take very long for Henry to equate both Regina and Emma as his mothers. And there's like, neither is shown as being superior to the other because like Regina raised him, but Emma gave birth to him. But that doesn't give either of them points in their corner inherently. It's their actions. Yeah. And by the end, Henry's like, I have two moms and I think I have four dads, maybe. I can't keep track anymore. Yeah. Also a clone. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, it got super stupid by the end. Um, actually, it got super stupid very quickly. We'll talk about Zelina. <laughs> well, we will talk about Zelina. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, anyway, in the original series, Belle, uh, Belle and Rumpel meet up about the same time that the true love kiss that Emma gives Henry is enacted, and that breaks the spell on everyone. But then Rumpel decides... I need to have magic here. So so horny for magic. Yeah, he's so horny for magic. So he goes up to the local wishing well, which I wish they had made it a bigger MacGuffin. Like, yeah, that should. You know what? They always had issues with how do we get from point A to point B? Like we have to get from the land without magic to a different world. Use the magic. Wishing well, that that can act as a natural por- portal. Have n- none of you ever seen Inuyasha? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, well, the wishing well is basically just a hole in the world yeah. in this town, in this show. I feel like they should have had an arc where they're trying to stop stuff from coming through it. Yeah. Because have you ever seen Inuyasha? Yes. There's a lot of uh, bug demons that come through that well. Yeah. <laughs> especially topless centipede ladies. Yeah, that was a yeah. great thing for me to witness at the age of 10. <laughs> yeah, look, the Japanese don't give a shit. Yeah. Well, they do, but they don't. <laughs> or they give more shits than most other humans. They give different shits than America does. Yeah, in Canada. Yeah. So... Anyway, um, they get the magic back, the spell's broken, and then season two is pretty much exclusively set in Storybrooke. They don't really go anywhere major except Emma and Snow end up in the Enchanted Forest because uh, a wraith gets sicked on Regina by Rumpel as revenge for basically everything. And I, yeah. Rumpel summons a Dementor from the Enchanted Forest. And we don't find out until the end of the episode that it's the same Dementor that was going after uh, Prince Philip and Sleeping Beauty and Mulan, who are also here now. Yeah. And And they use a magic spell to send the Dementor to the real world, and it is like the equivalent exchange, Emma and Snow get sucked into the Enchanted Forest. So they're bumming around there for a bit. The Enchanted Forest is pretty wrecked, but apparently some people didn't get taken with the curse. And as it turns out, that was because of Regina's mom, Cora, the best villain. And also the Queen of Hearts. Also the Queen of Hearts. Yeah, she was revealed in the first season to be the Queen of Hearts. She is revealed in this season to be the Miller's daughter from the original Stilskin story, and that's how they met, basically, just... That story, except the Miller's daughter is a lot more ambitious and evil, and eventually takes out her own heart. 
so that she can be a psychopathic power climber. Because when you have your heart removed, you don't feel any emotion, except when it's convenient for the plot. Yeah. But hey, Barbara Hershey plays psychotic well. Oh, she's so good. Yeah. Yeah, and if you don't know who Barbara Hershey is, if uh, anybody listening has ever seen Black Swan, she's the mom in Black Swan. Oh, yeah, that's where I first saw her. Yeah, I remember her so well. It took me two tries to watch that movie because um, it was when the when um, Natalie Portman's character's toes were starting to stick together to, like, they were getting the webbing in there and that kind of yeah. grossed me out. More so than, like, the feathers being pulled out of her skin, but that's a yeah. totally different oh, thing. No, the, the worst scene in that movie was when Mama, Barbara Hershey's character, is, like, running after Natalie Portman, and Natalie Portman just slams the door on her and gets the fingers caught. Yeah! Oh! Jesus! <laughs> Darren Aronofsky does not hold back. Nah. Nah. He is so intense as a director. Anyway, um... In the flashbacks, too, what's also cool about season two is that Cora is also played by Rose McGowan, who also does Psycho really well. Yes. Yeah. Do you like Rose McGowan? I can't remember. Um, I like her as an actor. Um, I, I don't know. I'm kind of, she's kind of falling into that Taylor Swift category of as long as I don't read what's on her Twitter account, I'm okay. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, and she's a turf. Yeah. So. Goddamn. But hey, the, the acting was good. Yes, the acting we was good. We can take Cora as her own thing. We'll just separate Rose McGowan from that. Look, I've already found a different actress to play young Cora anyway. Baller. Yeah. Um, my fave... The one person who made me realize I was very much not straight, Natalie Congrats. Natalie Darmer. Oh, yes. Yes. And Boleyn, Marjorie Tyrell. Who can play, like, bitchy queen better? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, just stick her, just give her, like, some hair dye and she's great. She's perfect. Yeah, if you, if you give her some hair dye or a good black wig, they could pass for older and younger. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Natalie well, Dorner has, like, that cat smile going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. It's natural, too. Her mouth is kind of shaped just a bit oddly, but she does that cat... It, it, it creates a natural cat smile. So, yeah, she is perfect for it. Anyway, um... So yeah, aside from the change of keeping Belle out of the season one finale so that we can have a big reveal about what she's been doing for the past, I decided to up the timeline to 30 years because I like a good round number. Like 28 is an even number, but like I prefer 30. Yeah. It just looks nicer. Cleaner. Yeah. Um, so the big thing that happens is when the curse breaks at the end of season two, everybody gets transported back to the Enchanted Forest. Okay. And I just thought that Rumple would have a big fucking freak out at that because the entire point of all of his plans was to go and find his son because he figured that his son was over in our world 
basically. The world without magic. The world without magic. Um, and he had this humongous elaborate plan because it's really hard to get to the world without magic, and it's all for naught! It was like a thousand-year-old plan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even though it was proven that there are easier ways to get there. But I honestly think that the big thing was that Rumpel wanted to go with his magic, and he couldn't take his magic if he just used the beans. The beans! Yeah, yeah, the magic beans. <laughs> they they make beanstalks to the sky, but also, if you throw them hard enough, if you just, like, slam dunk them into the ground, they open a wormhole to other dimensions. As I said, just apply fairy tale logic, it makes sense. <laughs> and they they had a magic bean and they planted it and it grew more magic beans but like if they planted it wrong it could have just made another hole and sent them to like Neverland oh yeah. they did go to Neverland oh, yeah I almost blocked that out that's that's another that's next year yeah that's the whole thing um so my plan should this reboot ever happen, and I hope that there is an opportunity to remake this, because there's a lot of potential to this. Oh, yeah. Um, they go back to the Enchanted Forest, and we find out what has been going on for the past 30 years, because nobody's been really sitting around and doing nothing. So, for context, in the original TV show, everybody was living in a bubble created by Regina's mom, Cora, as sort of like a protection from... Uh, the curse, and then time stopped there as well. And then when the curse on our side was broken, time started up again, and people could leave this, leave this bubble and do whatever. Um, in this one, I'm like, uh, when Korra created the bubble, it lasted as long as it needed, and then once the curse smoke was gone and the Enchanted Forest was left behind depopulated, uh, Cora took down that bubble and everybody kind of diffused and Cora went about planning how she was going to deal with this minor bump in the road. Yeah. Can uh, I just also, yeah. when they go back to the Enchanted Forest, there should be more than like, in, okay, in Cora's bubble, there were maybe 30 people yeah, no, and this only, gonna... f only five of them mattered. Yeah. I was thinking there was going to be, like, a small number of people in Korra's bubble, and then because in this timeline, time didn't stop for the people in the Enchanted Forest, um, and travel between the different realms and the fantasy worlds seems to be easier than trying to get to our world without magic. Because there's no magic to travel yeah. to. Yeah. Well, I was uh, going to come back to that at a later season. Mostly involving okay. Henry, and you know how much we like uh, weird, spooky stuff, Tanner. Yes. So, oh, are we going to have a season that's all about the spookums? Yeah, why not? Nice. Yeah. I mean, I will say, it it does kind of make sense that getting to a world without magic is harder than getting to one with it. Because it's like, if you already have all the magic, there's like already all these kind of bridges and portals pre-existing. Yeah. And Whereas... You kind of have to punch through the barrier to get to our world. Yeah, and like there's, um, so Frankenstein is in this series and he comes from the world without color. And Rumpel mentions 
as part of the exposition about who he is, that there is magic in the world without color, but it's a very kind of weak magic. Um, and it works a little bit differently. Yeah. So if we were to say at a very later date, do something about the magic in the world without magic. The reality is more like it's kind of like a weird wild magic. So. Okay. Like, you know how we've got all the different stories about like aliens and weird like glitches in the matrix and the cryptids and all that. That might come from our own weird magic sort of situation here. Next week on Once Upon a Time, the Mothman. <laughs> the Mothman prophecies. Apparently, apparently, is a good movie. I've heard. Okay. I will. I will have yeah. to check it out at some point. Janine was suggesting it to people. Okay. So anyway, in return to the Enchanted Forest, and one of the big differences is like, aside from a lot of characters like Sleeping Beauty and Prince Philip now being a charge. And having gone, you know, older, they've got kids and all that sort of stuff, and they're ruling a, a kingdom. Uh, they're also, like, the high king and queen of the Enchanted Forest, because why not get a bit more into Enchanted Forest politics? It was always kind of confusing about, like, what actually got sent to Storybrooke and what stayed and all that. Because <laughs> it never So how, fr- from a scale of, like, normal Disney politics to... Game of Thrones, how intense are these politics getting? Um, not too Game of Thronesy. let's be honest. Um, yeah. probably, um, what is the most, like, politics-heavy Disney property that's friendly for kids out there? Um, maybe The Princess and the Frog? Yeah, maybe. Maybe about Which is another one I haven't seen yet. Yeah, I haven't seen that one either. Or maybe Atlantis, where they mention other countries and all that. But anyway, what yeah. I what I was thinking it is... doesn't really factor into it in Atlantis though, because it's yeah. like they have to mention other countries because it's an international team. And it's also said during World War One, but America oh, yeah. isn't in World War One yet, so mm-hmm. it's sort of like, oh yeah, that that shit's going on over in Europe. So sad. We're gonna go find a lost civilization. Yeah. Um. Like, what I was thinking when I was actually structuring the Enchanted Forest is that it's sort of like the old, kind of like Celtic high kingdoms of, like, Ireland and uh, Arthurian England and up in Scotland, where you have a number of petty kingdoms, but then the answer to uh, one king or queen who they elect to sort of, like, be the first among equals, basically. Or kind okay. Of like the main person in charge. So, way back in the day, uh, before the curse, Snow, Snow's dad and her mom were the high king and queen for a while. And then Regina got to be high queen because she married Leopold. And then she was high queen by herself because, well, she kind of took over. And then when Snow White and Charming initially defeated her just before the curse was cast, they became high king and queen. Because, yes. Yeah, that works. That all tracks so far. So, after the curse is cast, um, they had to like figure out how things are going to go, who's going to be in charge and all that. Um, and I would say that there was probably a fight between 
Philip and Aurora on one side and Cora on the other, because Cora, of course, wants to take advantage of the situation, but Philip and Aurora won out. So another Cora moment. has, like, a bloodline claim, kind of, but Philip and Aurora are part of the actual nobility. Oh, no, I guess Cora's nobility, too. Um, okay, Cora would be royal by marriage, because she married a younger son of King Xavier in, an, in the country where... Or the kingdom wherever Regina came from. They never mentioned, like, what these places are actually called. Yeah. Um, but we could say that, like, um, Cora's family, and also, like, Philip's family, and I guess also Aurora's family, because they're all, all of them are nobility. Like, they're, like, vassal houses. Yeah. To the charming legacy. Yeah. Kind of like, I guess it would kind of be, like, how things are structured in Game of Thrones, but they all, or if you're familiar with, like, German history, it's sort of like you have, uh, for a time, the Holy Roman Emperor or the Emperor of Austria, and then later the Emperor of Germany, the Kaiser of Germany, and then underneath him is all of the rulers of, like, you have the King of Bavaria, the King of uh, Hanover, the Grand Duke of Baden, the Count of whatever... Uh, so, they're, like, the heads of their own states, but then they answer to the Kaiser and the German parliament sort of situation. So, they have some autonomy, but, like, they're still un altogether part of this one nation. It's a federation. There. Yeah. <laughs> if you so, know basically, uh, like, so Philip and Aurora would have just as much a claim to the throne as Cora would. As, like, the paramount king and queen the high king and queen but they're also in charge of their own countries mm -hmm. because i think from the original movie they seem to be like the only heirs to their respective parents so maybe they're like in charge of a joint kingdom and then they become the the head of the entire enchanted forest Cora does her own thing. She's plotting and planning and causing trouble and all that and then another big plot point that i wanted to have with uh, the past 30 years, is that people started to move in. Um, from where? From places like um, the Scandinavia world of uh, Anna and Elsa. Oh, uh, we can just call that Arendelle. Yeah, Arendelle. Like, that was the straight up the nation of Arendelle. Okay. Arendelle and their adjacent lands, uh, Camelot, probably some sort of, like, eastern, vaguely eastern European steppe-ish area. And they're all vying for their spots and all that. Eventually it coalesces into something similar to the old Enchanted Forest, but different. One of the big differences is uh, Belle's there! Yay, Belle! Yeah. And uh, she hasn't She's been there and she's fine and she hasn't had any interaction with Rumpel for years. Yeah. 30 years, she's totally over it. She's been living her, relatively speaking, best life possible in the given situation she found her own buffalo bear to marry <laughs> well my plan was to crib a few things from um princess mononoke okay so Belle is by this time in her 50s she's looking great she's yes. also the head of a major manufacturing area for all the different weapons that all the different countries need she's mostly supplying uh, Philip and Aurora, because she's got the royal warrant, but she's semi-independent. She is now known as Lady Belle of Irontown. 
Okay, that's badass. Yeah. But I would have thought she'd be like in charge of the library or a school or something. How did she become the Tony Stark of the Enchanted <laughs> Forest? Well, first of all, Belle is smart. Second, secondly, I'm going to keep her dad as like the kooky inventor. So okay, she, that kind of rubbed off her, herself. She read a lot of books about engineering and all that. And uh, when she returned, did Belle invent guns? <laughs> No, that's going to be an invention from the Land of Dragons or whatever we call the China, the fantasy China area. Did Okay, so did was Belle instrumental in importing guns from <laughs> yes. the Land of Dragons to the Enchanted Forest? Yes, because contrary to what most people think and what most popular his representations in the Middle Ages like to present, um, Europe had access to guns by about, oh, the 1300s? Okay. So yeah, they are historically there um and gunpowder doesn't take much to make it it's a couple of things you throw together you make sure it's mixed you know into the ideal situation so that it's powerful enough to be used and then you create tubes basically with a firing mechanism and lead balls I do like the idea of Korra coming over to do like her weekly takeover attempt. And one day the guards just whip out a pair of flintlock pistols. She's like, oh sh- shit, th- this is new. Okay, bye. I'll-, I'll see you next week. Yes. Now I have to go invent magic guns? <laughs> Why not? Let's get this area up to like steampunk levels. Or dungeon punk levels. Okay. Just totally D and can ro- I can roll with this. <laughs> yeah. So that's been going on for the past while. And um, just before the curse, I decide that instead of poor Maid Marian getting the axe, because fuck that. Uh, well, okay. I'll get into that later when it comes up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Robin kind of bought it just before the curse. And, um... Marion takes over as head of the Merry Men. Okay, that I like. Yeah. And, okay, I changed the gender of the kid that they had because in Once Upon a Time they had, like, this really adorable little boy named Roland who's about five. They don't do anything with him. He's of no importance at all. We never see him again after season, what, five? Yeah, I, I don't know. I stopped watching after season five, so I wouldn't know. Yeah. Season 5 or season 6, the one where they, like, introduced Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde for, like, all of five seconds and then killed him. God, that was a fucking dumb move. Ugh. And it was all because of the Cora, or not, not Cora, Regina love and Rumpel love and God, I fucking hated that season so bad, so much. Season 6 was the worst. Yes. (sighs) Anyway, (laughs) um... Didn't I remember I, you saying that you wanted him to like become Child Roland to the Dark Tower come? It was kind of like obvious from the name, like that would be a natural progression. But you know that never happened. They never, you know, used the old time skip method of you know just letting the characters kind of breathe for a while, and then oh yeah, we've recasted these guys so that they're older now, and we can actually use these former child actors because their characters are adults now, and we can actually you know ethically all that sort of stuff. But no, yeah, no. God Almighty, these writers and they don't know how to write kids. 
or teenagers. No. Okay, they Henry in the first season was great. I think they do know how to write kids, but not. They knew how to write Henry. They knew how to write Henry. And then they just kind of copy pasted all of that onto any other child they had. Yeah, and that was um no no not good. So some of the new cast of characters. So instead of Roland, we're gonna have Diana of Loxley. I know it's a bit on the nose, but like I wanted an archery thing. Yay. Yeah. So she's the daughter of Robin Hood and Maid Marian, and she is a knight of the realm. Because lady knights are awesome. Yes, always. Um, and then two people with somewhat odd. Um, if you know your ballets, you'll automatically know them, and also like the Swamp Princess. But like, I'm throwing in Rothbart before he's Rothbart and Odile. Does Rothbart have a different name before he's Rothbart? Yeah, Rothbart Hagen, or something like that. Basically, he's a sorcerer. He's not that bad to begin with, but oh, oh, later on, I have plans for him. Rather, oh boy. Yeah, rather devastating plans that I have slightly crept from uh, Missing Legends podcast, which people should nice. check out. Yeah. I, I do like that you're setting planting the seeds so that you can eventually turn the show into the perfect intersection of your two wheelhouses, <laughs> which are ballets and anime. <laughs> Look. Look, Princess Tutu left a massive impression on me. So, yeah, this is me living my westernized dreams of what this could have been. So, Beautiful. Yeah, basically, most of the season is, like, dealing with Korra, Emma getting to know uh, Charming and Snow a lot more, because that's been a common complaint I've heard from fans, is that there wasn't enough interactions between Emma and her parents to really, you know, help them figure out how this parent-child relationship is going to work even though they haven't been able to raise her for these past 30 years and they're now the same age as each other. Yeah. The best they're like is, oh, isn't that wacky? Yeah. <laughs> Prince Charming's in his 20s. That's too young to be a grandpa. Oh well. Yeah, it was just used as a lol quirky and it's like, no, there's like some actual interesting drama things that could happen. You know, aside from the usual, why weren't you there to take care of me while we were under a curse, honey? Sorry. Um, yeah, just like navigating that relationship. Uh, Emma getting to know Hook a lot more because Hook eventually becomes uh, her husband. Yeah, they do get married at the end of season yeah. six. Um, and I'm actually fine with that ship. I think, uh, I think how they... They actually did a good job with that relationship overall. Uh, there were some, like, weak parts, but otherwise, you know, it felt natural. It felt like, yeah, I can see Emma going for a guy like Hook. I I honestly don't think she would be for the traditional Prince Charming type. Or the Huntsman type. Yeah, there was a whole Huntsman thing, you know what? It's fine. We'll, we'll keep that the same. Yeah. He, he died and turned into Christian Grey. Okay, I deny that part. He died and went on to make some great Irish war movies. <laughs> no, I'm... If I ever get a hold of Interstitial, I'm playing the huntsman who died and got reincarnated as Christian Grey. 
either that or clone Henry. <laughs> or clone Henry. Okay. Which one's worse? Oh. There's also clone Emma? Yeah, who's like the ditzy princess. I I could spend an entire podcast trying to trying to like decipher the last five minutes of the final episode that I watched after not seeing the show for two years. And it's like, yeah, there's two versions of you, and there's two versions of you, and Zoro's a dragon. Oh god, that was... We're just gonna pretend that season seven never happened. Well, we're gonna reboot it, Lindsay! Yeah, I... Okay. <laughs> okay. And my version of Once Upon a Time is the reality. I deny your version of reality and substitute it with my own A&D and ABC. That's fair. Yeah. So, yeah, the big thing is that I would prob, I would definitely keep the uh, fairy tale of the week theme going on while also having the bigger plot going on as the B plot throughout everything until like it eventually builds up to maybe not like the mid season climax, but definitely keep relatively the same point. Where Korra was killed in the original uh, season two. Like, no. Was she killed? Yeah, she was killed. Uh, she was trying. I honestly forgot about that because she came back at some point too. Uh, she was still dead. So what happened in season two was uh, Korra's big plan was to become the Dark One herself, so she had to kill Rumple, and the heroes were trying to prevent that, and. Uh, oh, what had happened? Um, Snow got her hands on a magic candle. Oh, right. Yeah, the magic candle that was supposed to, like, save a life but take a life. And she cursed Korra's heart so that when Regina finally put the heart back into Korra, Korra would insta-die. Right. Yeah, so there's all of that... I wouldn't exactly keep that because afterwards there was a lot of Okay, so the the writers and creators of the series hammered really hard on the whole idea of the pure of heart and um blackening your heart until it's impure and all that and I'm like they went a bit too far with that, like way too much in the into the black and white thinking, like I I get it, it's Disney fairy tales comes to the territory, but having Snow feel guilty, like so guilty about taking Cora's life, like uh, I think a good medium is like she she is upset that she had to kill someone like that. I think she's more okay with the whole open combat, honorable battle sort of situations. Yeah, and maybe in it's this- like any other situation. You can argue self defense, but I get her feeling guilty for this because this would be the first death that feels like a murder. Yeah, and especially because she also did it. Though, because now I remember that whole thing, which was I actually kind of liked it. Yeah, even though it got super dark because it was she cursed Cora. She found Cora's heart. She cursed it with the candle. Then she gave it to Regina and said. Regina, if you shove this heart back into your mom, she'll love you and stop being evil. And so Regina did do that. And Corazon's like, 
Oh, hey, I do love you. Also, I'm dead now. Bye. Yeah. So, I... You know what? Yeah. Probably keep the method of murder in there. I think what bugged me and a lot of other people was how long they dragged out the whole Snow feeling guilty for killing Korra. Yeah, because after that it was like, Snow would do one slightly mean thing and then she's like, Oh my gosh, I'm being taken over by the darkness inside my heart! It's like... No, no, later on, that's not how magic actually works. Um, Or morality. (laughs) Or morality. Like, it put too much pressure on the heroes to always be good. Like, the way that the morality eventually went is that any slip-up by the heroes meant that they were going dark, but the uh, former villains who were supposed to have been redeemed by this point could have slip-ups all the time, but they would still be considered good. And a lot. Yeah. Like, there, that sort of thinking is really problematic. Like, okay, your people are probably going to say, but Vegeta was a good character after a certain point, and it's like, well, he had goodness thrust upon him by Goku, and Goku can do no wrong. Dragon Ball is such an alien thing to me. Yeah. So, in this situation, I think, cut down on the whole thing. Like, of course, Snow's going to feel guilty about doing... Like, this feels like a murder. This feels wrong fundamentally to her sort of morality and the way that she usually does things. And she can't really justify it beyond, Cora killed my mother, but this whole eye for... It should be... The lesson here is that an eye for an eye isn't going to get you very far. Mm-hmm. Like, killing Cora is not going to bring back Eva. This just feels wrong on a certain level. No matter how much you can justify it. It's a whole, like, you're trying to justify... Every, everybody else can justify it for you. It's still a question on whether you can justify it to yourself. That's the moral lesson. Or the... Yeah. Yeah, the after-school lesson for this episode. Um, <laughs> the big thing, too, is that... Uh, Regina's reaction, like, yeah, the whole grief, anger, why did you kill my mom sort of thing, but it should have been the catalyst for self-examination for Regina that she never really got, especially when it came to her mother. Yeah. Um, (laughs) the, the whole thing, like, yeah, dad just came in with my, uh, supper and he was being a bit of a goofball about it. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. So, um, so Regina never really seems to have sat down and thought about her relationship with Cora, which totally abusive. Like she was, she's classically the daughter of a sociopath. Like, yes, you're not going to come out okay from that sort of relationship. You just have to learn how to deal with the damage. And can are... we in this uh, can we in this rebooted season two keep Archie around more? Yes, I think he will be definitely needed. Arch Archie, aka Jiminy Cricket, aka the town's therapist. Yeah, who barely got used after season two. Yeah, have more Archie, aka Jiminy Cricket, about, and he's he's helping Regina, you know, get through what growing up under Cora was like because. From all of the flashbacks involving Regina, Cora, and Regina's dad, who's also named Henry, um, it seems like Cora was the dominant personality, 
and Henry like tried to protect her but he was like one of those so beamed down by his overbearing wife that he really couldn't do anything yeah like I do there is that whole stereotype stereotype about the hempic husband but like if you have a wife like Horace like yeah there's a, there's a, di- a mile of difference between yeah. oh women are naggy and this person is a danger to herself and others yes so um my big thing is that I think in Regina's case, when it comes to her redemption, I think instead of doing the whole, like, Vegeta, all of a sudden you're the, a good guy now because we say so, it's got to be more like Zuko in Avatar The Last Airbender. She's not going to get fully redeemed until, like, the end. Yeah. She's going to have to go on a journey. She's going to have to go on, like, three different journeys. Yeah. With various members of the cast. Yeah. It's going to be a major subplot. It's, You know what? Under the right management, it can work. Go watch Vikings for like how you actually manage series like this. Mm-hmm. Where you have multiple main characters and they do have their own diverging paths, but it all does lead to something. Yeah. Or Game of Thrones. Like, Game of Thrones, for all its problems, does know how to manage its characters. Or like, when to get them a Debatable. Okay, when to give them a break? Because, like, the kid who plays Bran, they're like, uh, we can't, we gotta wait a bit for him to grow up a bit. And, like, his actual importance is gonna be, he isn't gonna be really important until, like, a couple seasons down the road. Maybe we should just, like, you know, you go to school for a bit. Then you come back, and we'll have something ready for you. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. Regina's big thing is that she does some therapy with Archie and then realizes, I gotta go. I gotta figure out myself. And become a better person. Then, we zip over to the world without magic. To somewhere in, like, an oil-producing region of the U.S., probably. Maybe up in Canada. I don't know. Magic Canada? The big thing is, I was thinking, um, we meet a Neil Cassidy, who was mentioned a few times, played by some actor I, I ever cast him to. Not that the actor who played him was fine, but like. We might as well go all in. Yeah. I've pretty much recast everybody except for a few. I kept Hook as, uh, Colin O'Donohue because. He's a babe. He did. Yeah, he's a babe. He did an excellent job. Um, and Sarah Bulger as Aurora, because Sarah Bulger gets robbed every fucking time with US television. She's she, fucking crazy. She really does, yeah. Yeah. Like, honestly, no matter how bad you think the Tudors was, or how trashy you think it was, like, Sarah Bulger as Princess Mary, the future Bloody Mary, Mary the First, the ultra-Catholic, Sarah Bulger did an excellent job. Oh god, I'm still mad about that. I'm still mad about that. I'm still mad about what they did with her and Agent Carter because I was thinking that Peggy was going to end up with someone else. I didn't know who, but I thought it might have been someone else. Might have been Dum Dum Dunnigan for all of you. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, yeah. Sorry about that, but, like, that's just a thing. 
I freaking hate it. Anyway, I, I casted Dustin Milligan as Neil. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Um, Who you know he's... from X Company. Yeah. And I know from the re- the reboot of Nano 210. <laughs> <laughs> Small world. So, anyway, we cut back to our world, and I was initially thinking, like, North Dakota, because there's some oil fields down out there. What else is said in North Dakota? Not a lot. You can probably film it on the cheap, too. Yeah. Um, so, we meet a, an oil rigger by the name of Neil Cassidy, and um, he's either coming off of work, or he's sitting at a bar somewhere in a dusty, like, one-horse town wherever, and Guy saddles up to him, says his name is Greg Mendel, and he's with the FBI. I don't know that reference. Okay, Greg Mendel was, like, the, in season two, he was the dude, like, the Oh, the that dude. guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, him and Tamara, another one of those, like, didn't go anywhere other than to get us to Neverland. Yeah. Yeah. So, Greg. Greg's an FBI agent. Yeah. Greg's an FBI agent. I have it written here. Uh, looking to take down Regina Mills, the corrupt mayor of a mysterious town known as Storybrooke, which does not appear on any maps or in any government records before 1989. Dun, dun, dun. Which means it's a front. Yeah. Or a paper town. So, in the backstory that I have had crafted, um, another slight change to Emma's backstory that would be revealed over season two about the whole question about who Henry's birth father is. Um, So, in the original series, Emma was in the foster care system for a long time, and like a lot of foster uh, foster care kids didn't come out that great, especially... Like, this especially happens to the ones who aren't, like, really quickly adopted into different families. Um, so Emma's basically drifting around, and she's working as a thief. Because she's gotta make ends meet. And, uh, she encounters this guy called Neil Cassidy. And they head it off, and they do a Bonnie and Clyde thing, and then in the original series, which I thought was so dumb and so convoluted, Pinocchio who is also known as August, shows up. Yeah, and tells him, The Gordian knot that is Pinocchio. (laughs) Yeah, tells him, Hey, so there's this plan to break this curse, and we need Emma to eventually get there, and if you're with her, then she might not ever go to Storybrooke. So uh, you gotta dump her somehow. And Neil's like, But I can't. And... I don't know, there's something, I think Pinocchio mentioned something about Rumple being there, and Neil's got, or Balefire's got this whole thing with his dad, it's a very complicated relationship, but very understandable why it's super complicated, because that fucking power thing. Yeah. Oh, Rumple, You're like a freaking meth head. Oh, no, oh, I mean, yeah, it is very much an addiction to yeah. the magic. Which, they yeah. could have gone somewhere with that, but... Nope. So, anyway, in the backstory, in the original backstory, 
Neil does this really dumb thing about leaving a stolen watch on Emma and then calling the cops on her, and she goes to prison and has Henry and all that sort of stuff. Um, in this version, I did the very simple thing of... They got caught on a fucking CCTV, and they had been doing a bunch of... Just, like, knocking over, I don't know, some... 7-Elevens down in Arizona, and the cops finally caught up to them. And then Neil does, his big sacrifice is to go, um, I was the mastermind behind all of this. I was the one who was uh, kind of pushing Emma to do this. She didn't want to do it. I was making her do it. It's all my fault. Your honor. Put the blame on me. I am guilty. And he gets the real stiff sense of, I don't know how long in prison, but long enough. Enough that Emma doesn't bother waiting for him. Yeah. Like, probably of the five to ten years, probably more given how the U.S. is, especially in certain places. Yeah. And, you know, they do say that you get the judge on a bad day, and you're not going to get the outcome you want. So... Yeah, Neil gets locked up for a while, and he loses contact with Emma. Um, you could go either way on whether or not he knows that Emma is pregnant, but I think it might be more interesting if he did know, and that was also one of the reasons why he's like, I can't let her stick around in prison for too long. Yeah. So That makes yeah. more sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah, if he knew already. He could probably figure out to it too if he's been around her long enough to, you know, oh, she hasn't been having her period in a while. Wait, shit. I didn't pull out fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> pull out game week. <laughs> you guys are criminals. Why didn't you steal some condoms? <laughs> because they're fucking young and dumb and full of cum. <laughs> There's where we get our explicit rating. Yeah, oh, I knew. I knew going into this, Miss Raven in a naval family has cursed in front of children literally 10 seconds after I told you to make sure you didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're not. No, no. I hope that child uses fuck all the time. <laughs> I'm flashing back to that moment. The reason you were cussing was because we were talking about Once Upon a Time. Yeah. Anyways. So, yeah, just like the simple version of the backstory. And, of course, Greg being an FBI agent, he probably looked at Neil's file and was like, Oh, yeah, you, um, I'm going to make you help me out, like, find this town because... I don't know, he... Magic! He does have a connection to Storybrooke, and he Wait, has how did, figured out magic. Where in the file, and also how did the file get just, like, a line that says, this guy, he magic? I don't know, he doesn't have to explain, he can be like, FBI need to know, bloody bloody blah. The FBI has wizards. <laughs> <laughs> Look! This is the same FBI that also has, like, the X-Files team, so there. <laughs> Boulder just burst into the room. Scully, you're not going to believe this. Wizards. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
okay, I might have to recast Greg <laughs> to make him look more like more like Mulder. <laughs> it just no, just just scrap Greg. Greg is gone. It is Mulder. Yeah. <laughs> Disney owns Fox, which means that we can reboot the X Files on ABC. Yeah. <laughs> and we're gonna crossover. There. We're gonna make Mulder a fucking vengeful. You know, grown-up version of a kid who saw his... Well, he didn't see his dad get murdered, but... Dad got murdered by the... My dad got murdered by the evil queen, and my sister was abducted by aliens. <laughs> I've been through a lot. Yeah. They go to Storybrooke, only to find it's not there. Though it does kind of look like a blast zone. And then... Neil... Balefire... Realizes... Oh! Hey! There's still, like, this weird magic stuff in- Oh, look! There's a magic bean! Throws it on the ground. <laughs> Portal. Jump in. There's probably gonna be, like, some pulling out a gun and being like, You're gonna take me there! Da -da 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 -da. You can't bring guns to the Enchanted Forest! It's a fantasy world! <laughs> but little do they know. <laughs> <laughs> they, they flop onto the ground and Bell's men are pointing big arquebuses at them. <laughs> Belle, who at this point has become the perfect combination of Iron Man and a cowboy. <laughs> it's like, hello, boys. <laughs> Welcome to the Enchanted Forest. However you do an Australian accent. Oh yeah, I was going to ask. Is Belle probably not still played by Emilda Raven, but is she still no. extremely Australian? Um, maybe if Ruth, or not... Yep, an older-looking Ruth Nega can pull off an Australian accent. Ruth Nega, see, I feel like if you want her to be in her 50s, we should cast an actress in the 50s. Yeah. Ruth hmm. Nega is not at that point. No. Also, she's Irish. Yeah, but she can she can do accents pretty well. She does this is true. accent really, really well. Listen, we'll put her in there as something, definitely. Because Ruth Nega, like, we yeah. stan her. Um, okay, Young Belle is Ruth Nega. Now we just have to find an actress who looks like her, but aged up. Okay. Yeah. So, put a pin on that one. Okay. And, like, the big thing is just to find a an accent coach. To make sure that, you know, everything, you know, you don't want to slip too much into your OG accent if you don't have a black Australian woman. They probably do exist, but, like. I'm sure. Look, the only other choice is to keep Belle white, and then we could get Essie Davies. Oh, this unless is very they, true. Unless they had something figured out for Miss Fisher. What if? What? Okay. Well, for I mean, it probably wouldn't be that hard. I'm sure because Australia has more soap operas than America and the UK yeah. combined. Yeah. So I'm sure there's a soap actress who we could get a hold of, but Easily. also. Also, if if we're gonna keep Belle White, we could put Ruth Nega in as like one of the swans. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't. There. She it does. She doesn't need to be Belle. She just needs to be there. Yes, because Ruth Nega improves everything threefold. Yep. So I'm starting to get dark in here. I need some light. Um, <laughs> we not. We need to light up this audio medium. Yes. How can I? Okay, I do have to ask because uh, we've been going for over an hour. How far into the season are we? We're getting near the end. Okay, good. Yeah. So this. I went be... into this thinking, oh, this will be like a short podcast. It'll be like forty-five minutes. Nope. 
What was I expecting when we're the friends who, like, we get home at 10 and start talking in the car until 2? Yeah. Didn't we months go to, like, 4? Uh, we probably would've, and then I said, okay, we need to stop because I work at 8. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not gonna sleep tonight. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway, the big thing is Neil and Greg get to the Enchanted Forest. Greg starts planning out fighting Regina and killing her and all that sort of stuff. I'm, I think the whole, like, magic is evil, I'm on a crusade to get rid of magic and all that is a bit much. So, I don't really need it. It's just roaring rampage of revenge. Especially if we're doing Mulder Greg. And you know, we can do something where it's like, now I'm in the Enchanted Forest, now I have access to magic. Yeah. I can face Regina on the same level as her. Yeah, so we can get a pretty cool magic battle at some point. Or he could just get completely curb stomped. In any case, with better special effects than what we got. Yes. At a certain point, standing around throwing fireballs is kind of boring. That was the only spell they knew. Yeah, apparently. So, anyway, that happens in the climax, everything's going crazy, and then Henry gets kidnapped! Aw, beans. Because the person who was, help who was actually helping him, aside from, you know, various FBI files and investigating this whole weird storybook area of Maine, was Peter Pan and his shadow! And Peter Pan's got his own So problems. we are keeping the Peter Pan thing in. I thought it was neat. And now he's working for the government. <laughs> Well, it was more like Peter Pan's manipulating a government agent. Well, what I, were you thinking? I, if we're going, I was thinking if we're going to go with that similar kind of ending that the second season had, have Peter Pan, like, not be involved in government. Have Peter Pan be, like, another small arc in happening in the Enchanted Forest that okay. just kind of grows as things go on. Like, yeah. Greg, we can put Greg on a separate Thing. track okay. from Peter yeah. Pan and he ends up being I guess the big bad of the season Yeah, and maybe not necessarily a villain but the antagonist for sure and then because they get so caught up in this they don't realize that like oh this like random waif has shown up and he's making snake eyes at Rumpel and then you get some like hints dropped about this kid he's like ah oh, this kid's been wandering around he like he hangs out with these other kids who don't really have families and then we find out he's Peter Pan, and he just yanks Henry and pieces out. Yeah, and then we have to go and save Henry! Season 2 cliffhanger for season 3. Dun dun dun! That's if this doesn't get cancelled. I would probably watch this. I mean, I watched I watched the shitty real-life version, mm -hmm. so I'd probably watch our yeah. version. Which, with... Let's let's recap. We have uh, medieval Iron Woman Bell. <laughs> yep. We have, we have literal Fox Mulder. Yes! <laughs> And and we've we've set we've planted the seeds for both Peter Pan and eventually down the line, um, what was what was that anime? Princess Tutu. Yeah. Well, Princess Tutu was more Nutcracker. This is probably going to be more. Swan I thought Lake. it was. I thought it was Swan Lake on account of Shia Duck. It's kind of like a weird fusion of maybe not even the Nutcracker. Like yeah, they use Nutcracker music and they've got Drosselmeyer, but Drosselmeyer is more like. Capellius from Capellia. Oh yeah, so, of course, Capellia. <laughs> I know so many ballets. <laughs> Basically, he's like evil E.T.A. Hoffman, you know, maniacal writer determining the fates of the characters and all that sort of stuff, and then the characters are like, fuck you! <laughs> Maybe we'll do an episode all about you 
rebooting or remaking Princess Tutu. Yeah. Which was good. More like me remaking it for a Western audience. Yes. Yeah. The live action version coming this fall to CW. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was thinking more like the finale for Emma's journey into becoming, you know, magical warrior princess. And she's going to be the main focus of the plot, too. Yay. Damn it, because <laughs> Regina's great and all, but, like, as a, as a supporting character. If Regina's going to be a continuing character, she needs to pick a side and stay with it. Yes. She's going to get that good, good therapy. She's going to stop being a villain. And then... Eventually, after a long journey. And then at no, at no point are we going to be like, oh, what if Regina was evil again? Because we've moved past that. Yeah, we've already seen her be evil. It was cool. Just go back and watch, like, the... There's Netflix, people. There's Netflix. Or whatever Disney decides to do. Disflix. Gonna... Yeah. Um, anyway, I did also make a list of possible fairy tales to focus for, like, the whole fairy tale of the week episodes. Okay. So, of course, Rumpelstiltskin, like the original Rumpelstiltskin, which will reveal the backstory for Korra and all that, is going to be in there. I thought combining uh, Bearskin and this one French fairy tale that I just found called Jean the Soldier and Eulalie the Devil's Daughter would be cool. Um, that sounds pretty metal. Is Bearskin like Donkey Skin? <laughs> um... No, Bearskin is, a soldier is returning home, but he doesn't have any money, so he makes, and he um, also wants to get married to this chick, and he makes a deal with the devil to get some money, because her dad is like, you have to have money before you can marry my daughter, and there's, part of the deal is that uh, the soldier can't, like, shave or cut his hair or cut his nails for seven years, so he kind of looks grisly. <laughs> Dang. As um, you'd imagine. Yeah. And eventually he gets like, he gets rejected by the two older sisters initially and then various recognition stuff happens and there's a happily ever after because Bearskin manages to meet his deal with the devil. And he's like, hey, uh, could you also like say the Lord's Prayer to make yourself a Christian? And he, and the devil's like, you're pushing your luck, son. (laughs) 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 And then the devil just poops out. (laughs) And Bearskin's like, got money and a bride. Woo! I do like any fairy tale that A, involves the literal Christian devil, and B, has some punk trying to pull one over on him. Yes. And just like, if, if you have this whole scheme to trick the devil, awesome, great. But also, so many of them are so half-assed where it's just like, hey, Satan, do you feel like not being Satan anymore? And Satan's like, no, I'm gonna keep being Satan, you knob. <laughs> Being Satan's great. So anyway, Jean the Soldier and Yulali the Devil's Daughter, it's similar, but it doesn't have the whole, like, deal part. It's actually, Jean's situation is actually similar to, like, Vasilisa and uh, the Baba Yaga stories. Oh, okay. Where, like, you, he has to do chores for the devil to get stuff. Oh, are we, please tell me we're bringing in Baba Yaga. We will bring in Baba Yaga. Because Baba Yaga is the most metal fairy godmother ever. What if Baba Yaga was like, um, <laughs> what's uh, what's it called in Great Bit? What if she was like 
Regina's governess. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, she would have been a tough mutter of a governess, too. Yes. Mommy, your god takes no shit. And, and on the same note of the little Christian devil, what if we gave Ulale the tinderbox that summons hellhounds? That's part of, like, this... Okay, because part of the story is that uh, Jean and Yulali, they fall in love with each other and they decide to run away together and they bring some stuff to, like, make sure that they have some stuff and all that. And yeah, she'll have the tinderbox. Nice. I hope people listening to this get the references to the various stories that we're talking about. Um, I mean, anyway. the, the quick and dirty version of the tinderbox is that there's a soldier who killed a witch and stole her tinderbox, and whenever he strikes it, he summons a hellhound that obeys his every order, and he uses that to get rich and get laid. <laughs> yeah. That's, like, there's not, there's not even really a moral to it. It was just, like... No. And that was Hans Christian Andersen, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm almost saying that's, like, the Hans Christian Andersen version of, like, a revenge fic. Yeah, probably. Yeah. He's like, I've ri- so, I've written 17 different depressing stories and one really weird one about me just getting out all my gay angst. Now here's the <laughs> vengeance story. Yeah. Um, so let's see. I picked out um, East of the Sun and West of the Moon. Obviously. Because that one's really cool. And you could actually tie that into the family tree of the Snowings and the Charmings. Because, hmm. like, when... I initially came out... Okay, so I was already planning fic when I started watching Once Upon a Time and all that, and one of the ideas I came up with to adapt East of the Sun and West of the Moon is that the prince in that story would be, like, a cousin or a brother of um, Eva Snow's mom, because Eva is mentioned to come from a northern kingdom or the northern kingdom. They're really vague about what they call these places. But I took that to mean, like, Scandinavia-ish country, somewhere north, cold, all that sort of stuff. And East of the Sun, West of the Moon takes place in Norway. Okay. The Fitcher's Bird. That one is, according to the Arna Thompson type, it's 311, which is the heroine rescues herself and her sister. It's similar to Bluebeard. Okay. This one, though, the girl gets married to a sorcerer, and then she eventually, like, tricks him and all that sort of stuff to get away because she realizes that, oh, yeah, he's also a serial killer. It's also similar to uh, the robber, uh, the robber bridegroom. Okay, I think I actually did read that one Which, when I took my fairy tale class. Yeah, and some people might know about the robber, uh, the robber bridegroom because it was mentioned in a variant of it was mentioned in Much Ado About Nothing, and it was the inspiration for a Margaret Atwood novel, The Robber Bride. And, oh yeah, Neil Gaiman told a version of it in his 1998 book, Smoke and Mirrors. And yeah, it combines the stuff with, like, a Gilles de Rey, who was a medieval serial killer and a whole bunch of other stuff. Like, there's this weird uh, subgenre of fairy tales that features poor girls getting married to serial killers and then figuring out what they're doing. I feel like there was... A lot of real-life stuff influencing that. Yeah. Yeah. What's good, medieval Europe? Well, I'm almost thinking that these stories were like, okay, honey, be careful of the guys that you're uh, courting, or who are courting you, because they might not be who they say they are. Well, okay, here's the, the original Bluebeard. The moral of the story was, don't be curious, 
about your new husband because if you find out he's a serial killer, he'll kill you. It wasn't be careful of your husband who is a serial killer. It is just leave it alone and you'll be fine. Just pretend he's not. I almost think like the you should be curious and, you know, protect yourself moral was the original moral and then Charles Perrault is just like weird. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. So anyway, the Fitcher's Bird, uh, Godfather Death, the Mexican version, which would be Godmother Death. Nice. The story's basically the same in all the various versions, like the general outline of a farmer has like his wife has given birth to his thirteenth child and he's looking for a suitable godparent for their for the kid. He eventually lands on death as uh, being the appropriate godparent. Death also offers that uh, your kid's going to become like a great doctor. But the big crux of the story is that this kid eventually can see when death is about to take a patient of his. So he tries to save these people from dying, but then death is like, hold up, son. I'm death. I'm inevitable. And if you snap, if you try to save a person, I have to snap out some, someone else's life. And it's sort of like the moral question of, you know, what is the value of a life? Okay. And I just thought, you know, the personification of death involved. And eventually, because I do want to bring in Hades and Persephone and all of them eventually in, but like separating the ruler of the underworld from the god of death, I think is important will be an important distinction to make. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we'll get into that oh. when we get to those seasons. Yeah. I think we should actually... So, oh, how much do you have left? Because I was thinking we should wrap it up. We're at an hour and a half. Yeah. So I'm just going to like really quickly fire off uh, The Goose Girl, Iron John, The Buried Moon, Jack the Giant Killer, Yorinda and Yoringle, The Little Mermaid, The Nettle Spinner, Prince Lindworm, and The Sorcerer's Apprentice. You can all look... You can look them all up if you're interested, because some of them are actually pretty cool stories that should be adapted someday by Disney. Or someone else, maybe. So, yeah, that was my idea for Once Upon a Time Season 2. All right. You'd watch it? I'd watch it for sure. Okay. I'd probably watch anything you make on here. Yeah. Whether it be, here's the thing, is that some of these reboots are going to be like our serious pitches to like... Give us the rights to make these, and we're going to do it. <laughs> and some of these are going to be, like, the equivalent Just of the... Fun. Some of these are going to be the equivalent of the Super Mario Bros. movie. Where it's like, yeah. let's make this as buck wild as we can. <laughs> yeah. I would say Once Upon a Time is somewhere down the middle. Yes. Because yeah. we do have uh, Ancient Medieval Iron Man there. Yeah. <laughs> It is cool. It's just not what I was expecting <laughs> from Belle. <laughs> well, I'm like, okay. I had initially thought of like doing the whole, you know, actually having consequences for her being locked up for 28 years, but I'm like, she gets stripped of her agency so much, let's actually give her something to do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so this was our first episode. Uh, Lindsay, where can people find you on the internet? Um, I am <clears throat> at Lindsay Mitchell 476 on Twitter, and I also have a Pinterest that is linked there. I make interesting... Oh, is it... Yeah, I'm going to plug the Pinterest. Okay, no, I was just going to ask, is, is this variant of our season going to get a pin board? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'll think about it when I have time. 
Ah, sounds good. Yeah. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Sparky Upstart. And you can reach the uh, podcast itself. This is part of the Super Fun Network, which you can find on Twitter at Real SFN. And, and you, you can, can send emails to the Super Fun Network at gmail.com. And to make sure, I, I feel like at some point I might set up a separate email address for this. Yeah. If you want to send us like a commentary on how you would reboot Once Upon a Time Season 2 or stuff you'd like to see us reboot in the future. Um, but for now, just send it to Superfun and put Notify Reboot You First or just Reboot as the subject line so that Ryan knows to send that to me. Do we have a sign-off catchphrase? Have we thought of one? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, me neither. Maybe I'll, I'll workshop that in the intervening yeah. time between this and the next episode. Yeah. Do you want a hint on what the next episode is going to be? Yeah, I would like a hint. Okay, well, don't you forget about it. Oh, okay. Okay. Me, yeah. So I've been Tanner. I've been Lindsay. And this has been Notify Reboot You First. Bye. Bye. Still eating? I'm still eating. Yeah. Sorry, Dad's like. Dad's hovering. Dad's hovering. <laughs> Dad's interrupting the podcast again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> if he shows up on another show, we're gonna have to give him like a recurring credit for the Super Fun <laughs> yeah. Network. We're gonna have to start promoing his Twitter. <laughs>